the American Battlefield Trust seeks to preserve our nation's hallowed battlegrounds and educate the public about what happened there and why it matters today. They permanently protect these battlefields for future generations as a lasting and tangible memorial to the brave soldiers who fought in the American Revolution, the War of 1812, and the Civil War. You can help save battlefield land today by visiting battlefields.org. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this special edition of the Tattoo Historian Show. It's special because I'm dropping this on D-Day, June 6th, 75 years since the Great Invasion. And it is something special to have this particular interview on today. I'm speaking today with Tim Lambert. And some of you who are from central Pennsylvania, south central Pennsylvania, may recognize that name. Tim has been working for WITF for a while now, and uh, the public radio uh, station with WITF, he's done WITF News, and he wrote an incredible piece, and the piece is entitled, Look at That, They're Pulling Me Out of the Water Again, How a Pennsylvania Man Ended Up in One of the Most Famous Photos of the D-Day Invasion. Now, anyone who has studied D-Day or World War II You've seen this photo, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to post this photo onto my Facebook page, and you'll be able to see it there. I'll also put it up on my Instagram, and it is showcasing a number of soldiers, but one is being pulled out of the surf onto Omaha Beach. Uh, One man pulling each arm and pulling this man onto the beach out of the surf. And uh, it is an iconic image of Omaha Beach, one that I've seen hundreds and hundreds of times being used on documentaries or uh, in books, never thinking about who these men actually are who are in this image. We know they're American soldiers. Uh, We just don't know who they are until now. We have found out who they are thanks to this wonderful article written by Tim Lambert. And... Uh, Tim and I followed each other on Instagram for a while, and we had DM'd each other for, uh, you know, a couple times. We we had DM'd each other, but that's how things sometimes get started. And uh, he DM'd me one day, and he says, hey, I got this article that uh, I'm going to be bringing out, and I wanted to know if you wanted to do a podcast about it. And I said, absolutely, I would love to do a podcast about this because this image is so iconic and now knowing that the man who is being drugged onto the beach is a Pennsylvania man, I wanted to do this since uh, Tim and I are both Pennsylvania boys. So it was pretty cool to be able to do this. I was the first person to interview Tim about this article. Uh, he let me be the first one, which was awesome in itself. I got the scoop, even though um, this thing has already been put on papost.org that's p-a-p-o-s-t dot org you'll see Tim Lambert's article pop up even though it's already been put up there I was the first person to interview him about it and I was so excited to do that and so honored that Tim would allow me to do that and uh, the interview went really well 
And afterwards, I asked him, I'm like, hey, you've interviewed many people. You know, any pointers for me? And he gave me a good a good pointer, and I, I wrote it down, and I'm going to try to use it from now on. So I learned something else in the process. Not only did I learn about this particular image and who was in it, but I also learned a little bit about what I need to work on for my uh, interview skills, and uh, which I'm always trying to, you know, make better and work on it and uh, try to get more out of the interview than uh, I would have maybe a year ago. So this story is a really cool story, and I wanted it to drop on June 6th uh, for you know, obvious reasons. And uh, I hope that if you're listening to this on June 6th, that you take a moment out of your day to think about that day 75 years ago and how 150,000 men pushed into the Normandy region and made world history. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to give you uh, Mr. Tim Lambert talking about his new article on PA Post entitled, Look at that, they're pulling me out of the water again, how a Pennsylvania man ended up in one of the most famous photos of the D-Day invasion. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. This is a very special episode. This is my first D-Day episode since we're coming up on June the 6th. It's only fitting that we do this episode. And I am joined by Tim Lambert. And Tim has written a, a wonderful piece that uh, I have had to uh, the the honor of going over ahead of you all. <laughs> and uh, it's it's been a, a really awesome thing to read. And uh, Tim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's great. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about this story. Yeah, this is an extraordinary story. And before we get into this this D-Day story and something that uh, I did not know anything about as far as the photos are concerned, uh, let's talk a little bit about yourself. What's your background in, uh, in media, Tim? Sure. Uh, I've been a journalist since uh, 1993. hate to admit it's that long ago. Uh, I'm a graduate <laughs> of the uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I grew up in Aliquippa in Beaver County uh, in Pennsylvania. My dad was a steel worker, uh, always had um, an interest in history. My dad uh, always would tell me stories. He was a kid during wo World War II, and he would always tell me about how he remembered when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and um, how he was, uh, you know, he was listening to, listening to the radio when he woke up about the D-Day invasion. My grandfather mm -hmm. actually helped uh, build the Pentagon in the 1940s, and he also oh, wow. um, was was out in uh, in Yakima, Washington, where they were doing work on the Manhattan Project. He was a carpenter and helped build uh, the facilities there that housed a lot of the scientists as they were doing their research. So um, I have a lot of ties to uh, to World War II, thanks to my grandfather. But uh, yeah, it's a it's uh, it's a it's it's a passion of mine. I've been to Normandy uh, a few times, luckily, uh, and mm -hmm. um, you know I just love it there. It's just it's so much history. I used to live in Gettysburg as well. I worked in Gettysburg, so. Um, you know, having the chance to ride my bike on the battlefield when no tourists were there was always a pleasure and, and just being able to soak in the atmosphere of, of Gettysburg. And then, 
you know, again, seeing Normandy over the years and having that same experience just on such a, a, a wider scale. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've been at WITF, which is a public media organization in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for 16 years now. Um, actually, longer than that, since 2001. Um, the Morning Edition host, uh, which means that uh, I do the local breaks on uh, an NPR show. And I'm the news director here, so I also help set the editorial agenda and um, you know what we're going to cover and how we um, go about uh, dealing with stories that uh, impact people in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, earn five uh, National Edward R. Murrow Awards for my reporting, uh, including wow. including a story about the dedication of the uh, Richard Winters uh, Leadership Memorial in, in Normandy. So um, uh, yeah. I've been able to incorporate my love for history and, uh, you know, my respect for the military into some of my reporting. So that's that's always been something that uh, I've enjoyed doing. And, uh, you know, I just... Mm -hmm. I love to tell stories. I love to find interesting stories, and I love to, uh, you know, let people tell their stories because I've, everyone does have a story to tell, and and uh, right. sometimes you find one that's just uh, spectacular, and and I think we have one in this case. Oh, we, it's definitely a story that's an amazing one. And before we dive deep into that, what was your first experience at Normandy? How was that for you? Uh, my first experience in Normandy was uh, was was just amazing. You know, I, I had I had learned about the uh, the invasion. You know, I've always read about it, and uh, just having the chance to go over and and stand, you know, at the shoreline, at uh, low tide, and look across the beach at Omaha and think. I have to run across this with 80 pounds of gear on. You know, it almost makes it, <laughs> right. right now. You know, the the hair on my arm standing up just thinking about it, and uh, you know, under fire, um, you know, into those those kill zones that the Germans had set up. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the courage and determination that that uh, those those brave guys had is, is amazing to me. And then to be able to walk those grounds and to to see you know Braycor Manor where uh, the the band of brothers and Easy Company and and Lieutenant uh, Dick Winters led that uh, assault on the the four German guns and you know we went to Point de Hoc and we had a you know where the Rangers scaled the cliffs to to um, knock out the German guns that had been moved uh, you know mm -hmm. inland and they found them and, and knocked them out but to, to to see the devastation that still remains there the the, the craters from the shelling and the bombing. And then, you know, we had a battlefield guide, and he's talking about all this, these heroics, and then he stops, and, and he says, uh, that is why the French government turned this over to the United States, and it is now considered U.S. soil, you know, and, and you just sit there and think, oh, man, this is, this is something. Uh, and then, right. you know, again, you, you walk the grounds of the, of the cemetery, and uh, you, you see uh, the, the, the white crosses and the, and the Star of Davids, and, and uh, you know, you, you realize the cost of, of, of what the invasion was and, and the, the price that was paid by so many. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'd also learned something while I was there actually reporting on a story uh, a few years later was that um, the, the, the state with the most um, service men and women buried there is Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was. It was surprising to me. I knew that you know Pennsylvania had a lot of people who 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 served during the war, but I had no idea that uh, right. when it came to the the cemetery in Normandy that Pennsylvania was the leading state. So um, you know the Commonwealth wow. has a has a proud history of of serving. Right. That's that's amazing. I did not know that, and I'm 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 sure some of my listeners from Pennsylvania are going to love that that fact. Uh, when. When we uh, dive here into this article, uh, I want to first talk about how did you learn about 
this this research? How did you learn about uh, these photos or the research behind it? A friend of mine, a friend of my dad's actually, a family friend, uh, George Gott, he lives in Swickley, Pennsylvania. And um, we've gotten to know George over the year, and he's done a lot for veterans and a, and a big history, history buff as well. And, um, you know, we were talking one day, and he knew I was a writer, and uh, he said, you know, I've been doing research on this iconic photo from, from Normandy. And he said, I'm never going to do anything with it. It's just in a shoebox. Um, would you be interested in perhaps turning it into a book or writing an article for a magazine? And, and I said, George, you know, I'm, I'm really busy, but, you know, I'll take a look at it. And then he, when he showed me the photo, and, and the famous photo is of a, of a soldier being dragged out of the surf by, by two of his, his, his fellow soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the guy being dragged out of the surf was from Lindora, Pennsylvania in Butler County. And when George told me that and then I saw the photo, I said, I'll take the box. You know, when I get to it, I get to it. And, and um, you know, I'll see what I can do with it. And, and George, not being a journalist, you know, he has all these notes, handwritten notes, scraps of paper all over the place. And, uh, you know, trying to decipher his writing and what he meant and where, <laughs> where the timeline for everything fit. But he had done right. an amazing amount of research because he had seen um, the soldier, his name is Nicholas Russin, um, on, on KDKA TV a number of years ago on one of the anniversaries for D-Day. And they were talking about, you know, you're the guy in this picture. And, and George thought to himself, he's right up the road from me. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to call him. Wow. So, so he called yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And he ended up, never met him in person, but ended up talking to Mr. Russin, you know, three times, I think, over the course of mm-hmm. six, seven months. And then he also, you know, had some some books from them with the picture in it. And, and Nick would always sign his name above the photo, you know, Nick Russin, and point to, mm. point to, the, point to himself. Um, but, right. they, but they had some names of some of the soldiers also written above them and as to who they were and, you know, that part and in the photo. And th- there were a series of photos as well as film taken of this, this astonishing rescue. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I had a good starting point. I had a lot of, of information, and, and George had talked to one of the soldiers who was one of the rescuers. He had talked to one of the Navy crewmen, whose connection we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and then, of course, mm-hmm. he had the name of the photographer who was one of the photographers who was there. So having all that research to start with gave me, you know, a huge start. And, um, you know, I just right. delved into it and tried to figure out, okay, now what? <laughs> right. Yeah, and for my listeners, uh, don't worry. I know you can't see a photograph on the podcast. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post this photo on D-Day when we release this podcast so you'll be able to see the photo uh, in question and be able to follow along with what we're going to be talking about here in the next 20 minutes or so. So, Tim, I, this is actually a, a photo that I've used before on my on my website, and I never knew any of this story. So this is this is brand new to me, and I've studied World War II for probably going on 20 years now. So this is a brand new uh, new way of looking at it for me. Uh, did the totality of this project hit you when you when you found out that this this is a Pennsylvania guy that's just, you know, just up the road from a friend of yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it was a little intimidating. Um, you know, when, when you think about writing a story that hasn't been told before, that is maybe known in some small circles, um, you know, Okay, that's one thing. But then you think about, okay, this is a this is a story of history, uh, and it's a well known photo. Uh, okay, so that's another layer where you're like, we make sure that this is right, and everything we have in there is is is, is as tight as we can we can have it, is to the best of our abilities that we can confirm. And then you add into the fact that uh, 
it happened on D-Day, which is, you know, perhaps the most written about um, battle, military operation, you know, definitely of our time, if not, you know, ever. Maybe the Battle of Gettysburg might be right there with it. Um, right. But so then that was the other thing is, is okay, now this is something that I think a lot of people will pay attention to when it's released. We want to make sure that uh, we have everything confirmed as, as best as we can, and we want to make sure that we tell a great story, and we do justice to the to the men in the photo, obviously, um, and their families. So, um, yeah, it was a little daunting. It was a little intimidating. And, and when I sat down after kind of putting all my notes together, I basically wrote like three or four different stories, one on each individual, and, and thought, okay, how's this all going to work? How am I going to fit the narrative together to bring all these people from different parts of Omaha Beach, guys who haven't landed yet, and then bring them to this exact spot on the Easy Red sector as this amazing rescue was was captured and documented. Yeah, this is an iconic photo of Omaha Beach to this day. And when we talk about Nicholas Russon and, and being from Butler County, uh, he's a, like most of these men in the photo, they're, they're sons of the Depression. And uh, he's definitely one of those because uh, you wrote that he took part in the Civilian Conservation Corps, which must have been, uh, you know, a thing that helped him get attuned to military life in some way and then move forward from that uh, to to the beaches of Omaha. And and it's a it, the way you wrote it out is just it's so easy to read. And I, I'm very appreciative of that. And I know that a lot of my listeners, when they read your your piece be very appreciative of that but nick is is nick rustin is just one of you said four in in this article uh can you give us some background on some of the other men in the article sure uh and and nick you know was older for a soldier um he was uh 31 at the time of of the normandy invasion so you know not exactly mm. the 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 soldier that you picture in your mind when you think of the those who served in world war ii so mm -hmm. so when nick rustin was getting ready to to board the landing craft um he he climbs down the rope, and uh, he he comes face to face with someone he knew. Um, so this is one of the other folks we talk talk about in the article. Um, his name mm -hmm. is John Furka, and John was was uh, in the Navy. Um, and it turns out that was his best friend from Lindora, Pennsylvania. Not only was it his best friend from Lindora, but he enlisted with him in Pittsburgh in March of 1943. So a little bit more than a year ago, you know, before prior, he had. Right. Um, he had enlisted with, with John, and they went their separate ways. And lo and behold, mm -hmm. here they find themselves <laughs> on, you know, in June 1944, face-to-face -face, on a landing craft, getting ready to go into Omaha Beach. Um, you know, the odds of that, wow. I don't know. Maybe I have a better chance of being <laughs> elected president someday than that happening. Um, <laughs> right. And, right. I it, and the numbers that we had were about 400 people from Lindora had served in, in World War II. So here are two of them at this particular time in the largest amphibious operation ever put together in the history of the world. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. Furka was, was, was one of the folks, too. And, um, you know, we came across and, and George Gott, the, the person who put this research together, had, had talked to John, uh, Mr. Furka, a couple of times. And we, had, we have come across an interview he gave, a veterans interview, uh, as part of a project. Um, that we're we're looking at as well. That uh, is about a half hour long. So there's more about John Furka mm -hmm. that we haven't even delved into at this point. Um, then of course you have Nick Russin, um, and then the other two characters or the other two men, I should say. Um, one is uh, Lieutenant uh, Walter Sid Sidlowski, 
he was a member of the the Fifth Engineers Brigade. He had landed on June sixth in the second wave, um, and it was their job to sort of clear the way on the beach and get those obstacles. You know, the Rommel's asparagus and the um, you know the 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 mines that were there and the barbed wire that were going to you know slow down the landing crafts um, as they came into the beaches. So uh, Sidlowski. Um, you know, worked tirelessly from the from the moment they landed at about 9:30 until uh, you know we we get to the point of this story, and he has a great story as well. Uh, he's a fascinating character, and and he's also the subject of a well-known picture taken uh, by the other person that uh, we profile in this piece. Uh, and uh, Rosenblum is the name of the the photographer. Um, that uh, that that was there. He was part of the Signal Corps um, and and uh, worked to uh, let, let me get that right. Is the U.S. Army Signal Corps Detachment P actually the 162nd Signal Photographic Company? And uh, he landed in the second wave as well on June 6th, um, and uh, he was there with five of his. Uh, Walter Rosenblum is his name, and he is he he landed there with five of his colleagues, uh, still photographers and also movie photographers. I'd like to say you know video photographers, but back then it was actually film. <laughs> so uh, right, right. So Walter Rosenblum was was there as well, and and uh, you know what was fascinating about Walter is they his team survived Omaha that day, and they took pictures, and took pictures and shot film and. And, you know, when the day ended and, and the control of the beach was in, tenuously in U.S. hands, uh, they handed their film over to a, 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 an L, uh, a landing craft uh, operator who said they would get it back to London for them. No one has ever seen those pictures. No one has ever seen those photos mm. or the movies. Wow. They just disappeared. So, wow. you know, so you'd think, like, that's the moment where they, they would have captured, you know, career-making photos. But... You know, also would have really shed some perspective on what it was like on Omaha Beach as part of the second wave. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, lo and behold, they end up taking a picture that was pictures that were just as iconic. So, um, you know, having the narration of these four people and how they came to this particular spot on Omaha Beach, um, that was a challenge. But, uh, but man, all those guys individually have great stories. And when you put them together, it's, it's something that... Uh, I think is pretty special. Absolutely. And I did not realize that these photos were taken on the 7th. Uh, and I thought they were taken like the evening of the 6th uh, for a while. And then not until your piece that I realized, okay, this is actually D-Day plus one when these guys are, are finally shooting these rolls of film and, and, and doing these uh, uh, still photography and such on, on the beach. I thought it was the end of the 6th. And so I learned something there as well. And I did not know the story that they had given up their their D-Day photos to, you know, basically a driver and said, hey, make sure this gets back to London. And and, and all that history and all that, all that history, we have no idea where that is. Right. And as a journalist, you know, that breaks my heart. <laughs> and as a as a yeah. history buff, that just breaks my like, oh, my gosh, the, the the you know, because there's only a handful of photos from the actual invasion on June 6th of Omaha Beach, you know. Um, Robert right. Capra's photos, he had 80-some pictures, and a lot of those were destroyed for whatever reason. So 11 showed up. They're blurry, you know, but you don't have a lot of detail. And then I think some Coast Guard uh, photographers had taken some pictures. So you have these these images, but, you know, these guys were in the thick of it as well, um, and, and they stayed in the thick of it. And uh, to lose all those those photos are amazing. But, 
yeah, I was I was just as surprised when I started the research too that uh, you know. Uh, Rosenblum's family had, had written a book. Um, they fight with cameras. Walter Rosenblum in World War II, from D-Day to Dachau, um, where they mm-hmm. they they make the case that you know they looked at the pictures and stamped behind it was D-Day plus you know it was June seventh, and um, right. you know and and this famous picture of Walter Sidlowski, Lieutenant Sidlowski, you know he's he's sitting on a. Uh, Almost, I, I, it looks like a dead body. I don't know for sure, but he's sort of slumped up, and he's, you know, he's looking up, sort of. And he, you know, people pointed out he sort of has this Burt Lancaster look. He's just a very, you know, imposing, yeah. and you know, he's the guy you yeah. look like. He, that's an American soldier, you know, and and he just looks right. exhausted, and he has this look on his face, and, um, you know, so that's a photo of his own, but. Uh, yeah, the so in that same picture of Sidlowski, there's a gentleman, there's an officer behind him who's smoking a cigarette and not wearing a helmet. And as they point out in the book, mm. there is no way nobody was walking around <laughs> Omaha Beach without a helmet and smoking a cigarette when the Germans were shelling and, you know, the MG42s were rattling and, you know, people were just right. trying to dig into the sand to make themselves as small as possible. So um, pretty good case that it was indeed June 7th. And, uh, you know, you can see by all those guys congregating in the film that Val Pope shot, Sergeant Val Pope, they congregate at the beach to see what's happening with these landing, cra- landing crafts struggling in the seas. And, um, mm. and uh, you know, they're just sort of standing around. And again, there's no way on June 6th that would have been even possible. So, yeah, it was, it was stunning yeah. to me to, to, to learn this was a June 7th photo. And I actually just got um, Alex Kershaw's new book, The First Wave. And uh, I'm, yes. I'm leafing through it. It's a great book, by the way. It's an easy read. You'll f- finish in three days. Um, cheap, shameless plug, yeah. plug for Alex there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I look, and there's a picture of Nick Russin. He's, he's from behind. You know, you can see the bald spot. And, and he's looking at a stack of, of, of dead bodies on, on Omaha. And I looked at the caption, and it mm. said, you know, from, from D-Day on Omaha Beach, the number of bodies that were piled up. And, and I just wanted to, you know, reach out to Alex on Facebook be like, well... Oh. I think you're wrong in your caption there, but yeah, yeah. But that's been the case. I, I mean, these pictures are always billed as June sixth. So, right, right, and and it almost makes me wonder, as a historian who oftentimes talks about historical memory, uh, how would we see June sixth differently if we had those photos uh, that that were lost, or those or those uh, the movies that were that were lost on that landing? Would we see it? A little bit differently, or or would it, you know, still have uh, the kind of resonance it has to us to this this day? You know, because now knowing that some of these photos are taken on D-Day plus one, we can see it in a different light than we would have if we would have been able to say, "Oh, this is the afternoon of the sixth. Uh, you know, it, it just comes across a little bit differently. And I'm wondering if if we as a society would see D-Day just a little bit different uh, if we would have those June six photos and and movies. Yeah, I think I agree. I think June 6th, and you think of Omaha, you almost have in your head, you know, what happened there. And of course, Saving Private Ryan illustrated the the scene, you know, and what a lot of veterans said were, were very realistic and very lifelike. But I still don't think that captured, mm-hmm. you know, what that was like. I mean, um, my wife, uh, someone she worked with, her grandfather landed on Omaha, too. And, and he said that uh, it was like bees, it sounded like a, a, a you know a swarm of bees on the beach. That's how many bullets mm. were flying um, at the time. So, yeah, I think the whole perspective of that, and 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 that's sort of the power of Capra's photos too, is they're very blurred and they're very chaotic, and you're not you can't make out mm. distinguishing features on people, and and uh, 
you know, and, and he, he, you know, he admit, he admitted, you know, he broke his nerve. He, he wanted to get out of there. He didn't think he was going to survive. It was that bad. Um, right. So if those guys um, from, uh, you know, Rosenblum and Val Pope and, and Louis Weintraub would have, would have managed to get those pictures out um, because they were, they were, you know, easy red, um, the easy red sector, which again was, was, was a killing zone on, on Omaha and um, near the E3 exit. And um, so, yeah, I think, Again, like it's just ah, oh, the see those pictures would be. Mm. Yeah, and and who knows? It could be sitting in someone's attic right now. We have no idea where those where those images are. Right, they could be somewhere in London. They could be in the, maybe the guy just you know the 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 landing craft operator just kept it and, oh, and just put it in his pocket and forgot about it. I don't know, you know. But I would it'd be amazing right. if they surfaced and stranger things have happened. So who knows? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Was was Russin the main character? Was Nick Nick Russin was he wounded in this action, or was he just overcome by uh, you know having to go through this action, and that's why he's being dragged to the beach? Uh, he, he wasn't wounded. Uh, I guess he was, but <laughs> that's kind of a long story. But so basically, I'll you know as their landing craft is is moving into Omaha on June seventh. I can say that now since we talked about. <laughs> I didn't want to give too much away, but now on June 7th, you know, John Furk is with him on the landing craft. There's probably 25 soldiers, and they're moving in through one of the paths that were cleared um, to land through the channel. And uh, they're getting up to a sandbar, and the uh, the coxswain, the, dr- the pilot of the craft, says, I'm going to lower the ramp. Don't jump. Like, this isn't the time to, mm-hmm. to, to go. Don't jump. Well... Right. Nick might not have heard him. Nick might have been anxious. Maybe he was leaning against the door, but he goes in the water. And he starts flailing, flailing away because, again, he's wearing 80 pounds of equipment. He's carrying a rifle. He's got his you know, M1 helmet on. And uh, right. he just sinks to the bottom, 8 to 10 feet down. So he's, he pushes off. He resurfaces. Furka immediately grabs a gaff, uh, you know, has a hook on it. So he reaches in this pole, reaches into the water, and, and hooks <laughs> Nick's uh, his backpack's strap. And he hauls him back into the boat. So he's already soaking wet. He hasn't even come close to landing at Omaha. And uh, mm-hmm. so they go in. And this is where the story sort of, you know, I've, I've seen the film, but I don't know, you know, of a, of a beached sort of landing craft um, struggling in the surf and listing. And I don't know if Nick's part of that. And I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, in Nick's recollection, he went in the water. The ramp came down. He jumped in. He sunk. And, you know, he, right. he went up. And back down, went up, and back down, and the third time he thought to himself, "My, you know, I'm, I've got a bunch of seawater in my lungs, I can't fight anymore. This is it. This is where I die." And he's, and he remembers blacking out. Um, hmm. So, but when you watch Val Pope's film, uh, which is available on our website as part of the story um, at papost.org or witf.org, um, Nick is actually grasping onto a raft that Walter Sidlowski is leading in with a bunch of other men, including a gentleman by the name of Morris Self. Um, and uh, Morris and Sidlowski, incidentally, were both from the Brooklyn area. They never met. They met on the beach. They became lifelong friends. They stayed friends. They both survived <laughs> the war. And uh, So, wow. again, just these wild sort of connections. So, so right. Nick's holding on to the raft, and... You know, he's barely standing. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, the film sort of cuts out. But there are a series of photos of this rescue. And you see Nick sort of just drop off the ramp. So I think four to six feet away from the, the beach, he just drops in the water and floats. 
Um, a soldier from around, from behind uh, of the raft comes around, grabs Nick. Another soldier comes from off the shore, on the shore, and they both grab him by the arms and they carry him out of the, out of the water. He remembers getting his leg caught on some barbed wire. Um, whether he got injured from that, I don't know, but he got on the shore and he basically right. was vomiting seawater, trying, salt water, trying to, trying to breathe and, and throw up at the same time mm-hmm. and catch his breath. And um, Sidlowski said to him, you know, go up to the aid station and get some help and get, your, get yourself together. You don't want to be here. Like, we're still being shelled and, you know, we've got work to do. So the story mm-hmm. that isn't in the story, because I couldn't confirm it, but, you know, I'll tell the tale anyways, because that's sort of like, you know, they're passed down from generation to generation. The story that right. uh, George Gott had, had, had gotten, if it came from Nick or if it came from someone else that he had talked to, was that... Um, you know, Nick came across four soldiers, and they were on the beach, and he was heading up, you know, to the to the aid station. And the soldier said, "Ah, oh, just come sit with us and catch your breath. You'll be fine." And Nick said, "No, I'm going to go up towards the the ridge there and and get some cover." Well, he walks away a few steps, according to this story, and a shell hits between all four guys, killed all four oh. guys. Nick gets his clothes blown off from the explosion, and he gets all you know shrapnel a little bit, nothing major, but. So he goes mm-hmm. to the aid station. Um, you know, George told me that uh, Nick recounted that uh, they put a blanket over his head, and they thought he was dead. Hmm. But he was wow. la- he was laying there, and you know there were much more serious injuries that the medics and the doctors were were taking care of. And Nick got you know, and in the smell of the blood and the gore he had to see and witness, he thought, I don't want to be here. You know, so he wandered back down to the beach. So mm-hmm. if he would have had an injury, it was never recorded. So because it was never right. recorded, he wouldn't have been eligible in the Army's eyes to to receive a Purple Heart or any other medal at that point because nothing was documented. And I think, right. you know, that's sort of the other thing about Omaha Beach is, you know, only three Medal of Honors were awarded for actions on Omaha Beach. And the speculation has always been amongst the historians and the researchers have been that uh, there were so many acts of heroism that day, but either the people who committed them you know, who, 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 who did them um, were killed or the people who witnessed them were killed or they were all killed. So they were never documented. Mm. Nobody ever knows because there was so much chaos and casualty rates um, that, you know, those, those, those heroic stories never got up through the chain. And then there was also, you know, the Army sort of had this, we can't cheapen the Medal of Honor by giving too many out for one action. So right. uh, there's just so many layers to any story that you tell about Omaha. And, and obviously, I can go on all day. <laughs> but but so Nick, right. yeah, it's hard to say if Nick was wounded or not. He he always felt that yeah. he, he should have gotten a Purple Heart. Yeah, I can understand that. That's definitely understandable. What's the, uh, obviously, I don't want to give away the whole story. I want everyone to, to, to read uh, this piece because I, I do enjoy it and it is a great piece and I'm glad you shared it with me, Tim. Uh, and what uh, what's your big takeaway from this experience? Uh, what's the thing that was like, you know, the, the thing that really struck you about writing this piece or writing all four pieces and then, you know, deciding which one was the one you wanted to stick with? Hmm, that's a good question. It really is. Um, I think personally for me, I would have never, ever thought I would have had the opportunity to to take on a project about Omaha Beach and D-Day that that uh, nobody has really delved into before, yeah. um, to, to find an unknown story that, again, sort of fell in my lap. I'm not 
taking credit at all for the work that went into this by George and, and the family of Nick Russon. But to be able to be trusted to write this story and do it justice was personally, you know, something that, uh, you know, I never would have would have imagined. But, um, you know, looking for the big takeaway of of this experience has been that uh, the, the the heroism and the 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 approach that guys took um, during the invasion, um, you know, in this case, they were still being shelled. They were still under fire. Um yeah, the beach was in U.S. control, but, you know, they weren't exactly safe. You know, they weren't milling around and joking and laughing. You know, they were they were collecting mm-hmm. um, corpses and, and body parts in the wound and aiding the wounded. Um, it's just the individual soldier and the individual fighting man of the United States Army at a time um, where, you know, the fate of the world can be argued rested on this invasion, on, on this, on Operation Overlord. And to mm. to be able to tell the story of how individual sto- soldiers rose to the occasion, um, and I think that's something that's always overlooked when it comes to Omaha Beach. Is you know there, there's a lot of reasons why the U.S. succeeded. You know whether it was the the battleships coming in and firing on the German pos- positions as they're they're you know they scraped the bottom of the they were as close as they could be to the beach without you know crashing. Um, whether it was about Bradley's decision to continue just to pour in resources and just overwhelm the German defenders because sooner or later they had to run out of bullets, right? But mm-hmm. the more you read about Omaha Beach, the more you see that it was an individual soldier or a group of soldiers who made the decision that we are not going to die here. We are not going to sit here. It's better to die fighting or it's better to, to make a move to save my fellow soldiers by trying to get through that minefield, by cutting through that barbed wire. Um, and, uh, and I think... Even though this is June seventh, um, and it wasn't, you know, the, the 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 chaos and the and the destruction of of June sixth, this still was the case. Uh, again, this invasion on June seventh, a lot of people think, oh, D-Day invasion June sixth, it was all over. The Germans were defeated. Like this campaign went mm-hmm. till August. The Battle of Normandy went through August, um, and 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 Omaha was still very tenuous at this point. They didn't drive inland as much as the British did at their beaches, and and uh, the Fourth Division did off of Utah Beach. Um, these guys were still sort of fighting for their lives, and and to have the opportunity to tell a story of of gentlemen uh, like this, um, you know, so people get to meet Walter Sidlowski and 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 Nicholas Russon and and the great photography of of Rosenblum and and Val Pope, you know, again, as a journalist, like to be able to tell their story and to say, you know, at a time too, just you know, when journalism is is under you know, attack and criticism, you know, you have these guys who risked their lives to get out there. They weren't carrying weapons. They were, they were taking cameras. They were taking, you know, film and, and, uh, and movies and, and they were out there under fire as well, bringing that story back to the American people. So, you know, there were just so many different layers to this story and to really get in there and learn about, you know, the guys I mentioned, uh, to me was, was fantastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, people take that away from the story as well when they, when they read it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to share it with some of my friends who are battlefield guides in Normandy. And, and hopefully just, you know, they'll get to that spot on Omaha Beach and just say, by the way, this is the spot where this famous photo was taken. And these were the gentlemen who, you know, risked their lives to, to save their fellow soldiers. So um, yeah, that, that to me was, you know, the the I, I'm just I can't wait to see what happens when when the story's out there. <laughs> yeah, that's just so awesome. And for my listeners, one last time, let's give them the place where they can go and find this story, Tim. Sure. You can go to uh, PAPost.org. 
or WITF.org. And uh, the, stories, the story will be there. And uh, we have a, a great multimedia. Um, we have a presentation for you. We have some photos. We have Val Pope's video. We have a video of the site as it looks today, if you were to go there. Uh, we have all the photos from um, the Rosenblum uh, family was kind enough to license their photos to us. So we have several of his photos. Um, so it's really a, a, an experience to, to read the story, see the photos, and, and read the story behind the photos and the men in the, uh, who are in the photos that you know had been lost to history, who they were for, for so long. So um, check it out, and I, and I certainly would love to hear about uh, what you think of it. Yes, each, each and every one of you, please check it out. And again, I will post these photos uh, on my social media uh, sites so you'll be able to follow along with uh, what Tim and I have talked about for the last half hour. Uh, it's an amazing... And a link to the story, yes, I won't forget that either. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, I, I really hope that you all enjoy the article as much as I have. And Tim, thank you so much for, for sharing this story with us and, and for writing such an amazing article. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, and uh, it was a, it was an honor and a pleasure to uh, to take this on. I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Oh, thank you so much, my friend, and to all of you listening, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. Uh, please remember to subscribe, like, and share, and tune in next week for more interviews. Mm-hmm.